These scripture for today come from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. It's on page 1009 in your pew Bible. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many may become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Word of God for people of God. So I believe it was this last Christmas, uh, we were at a family event, and um, I received um, a, a, a box, and I opened it, and um, it, 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 was, it appeared to be a Rolex watch. And I was kind of taken, I was surprised by this, especially considering who had given this to me, and um, I, I like watches. That's something way beyond my aspiration for a watch. But here was a Rolex Submariner. Um, but had I looked, and something seemed a little bit, well, lots of things seemed a little bit off with this Rolex. One is the, the, the paint on the dial didn't seem to be quite as precise as Swiss craftsmanship ought to be. And then, honestly, in less than a second, I was able to see that rather than the um, telltale sign of a automatic movement of general sweeping of the second hand, it was the quartz movement clicking along and honestly um, not hitting on the numbers um, very well. So I had suspicions growing up uh, about this Rolex, and honestly, it wasn't quite as nice as my Casio. So. Um, I don't think it was legit. I'm pretty sure this was uh, counterfeit, um, and that it the K the X might have been more of a K. I'm not really sure. It might have had a Rolex, but anyway, maybe you've had experience with seeing counterfeit items. Maybe um, going to one of those street vendors on a cruise, or um, going to a flea market, and the types of things of um, of, of designer goods and things that often have a label, but craftsmanship that tells you that there's not much to that label. They're counterfeits. And um, we're probably not taken in too often by counterfeits. What is a counterfeit? Well, it's something that is trying to suggest value by the name it puts on it or the appearance it puts on it, um, but it doesn't actually have the value. It's not able to, to give what it promises. And I think there's a lot of counterfeit Christianity around us today. There's a, a lot around us where someone can get up and just say, 
I'm a Christian or I believe in God and say any sort of nonsense. And I think we've kind of gotten to a point that we think Christianity or faith is such a subjective thing that we're almost afraid to criticize or to, to hold it accountable to God's word. And so there's a lot of things that just kind of seeps in and that we hear and that we take and without bringing it to Scripture to see if it's true. And this passage from Hebrews, we're continuing with the running metaphor. Now we're encouraged to um, lift up our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees, and make straight the paths for our feet. So that rather than being laying, knocked out of joint, we might be healed. In other words, we, we put forth the energy, continue in the race, continue striving. But in doing so, we hold up a few things that I want us to compare some of the things we might believe or some of the things we might have heard, some things that expose counterfeit Christianity in the same way that a cheap movement or shoddy craftsmanship would show a counterfeit watch. The first is we have a counterfeit belief that holiness is optional. The second is that we have a counterfeit belief that grace is immediate. And the third is we have a counterfeit belief that equates repentance with remorse. So we're going to look at these three. The first is that holiness is optional. So we celebrate that we are saved by God's grace. We're, we celebrate um, the doctrine of justification by faith that um, Stephanie was sharing with the children, that we have Jesus' righteousness, that we do not earn our standing before God. We're grateful that we are saved solely by God's grace, received through faith. And yet, God calls us, he saves us to holiness. And part of our salvation is not just that we're forgiven, but that we are freed from sin and that we are progressively to be made more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. If you come to the theology class, we'll have other big words like sanctification. But it's sanctification. It's something being made holy. It's hallowed. It's being made sacred. That when you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and you are declared holy. You're declared set apart for God. And Mike talked about this Wednesday. Even in that declaration, there's progression growing in Christ dying to sin, living to Christ, so that we become, over time, more like Jesus. And we are told here that apart from this holiness that we get by God's grace, no one will see the Lord. The idea that we can just say, I'm forgiven, and never turn away from sin, or never grow in grace is not a biblical understanding of salvation. The idea that I can just say, well, I trust in God, and God, you know, he kind of forgives, he just has to. And an attitude that, that doesn't repel against sin is not the, the, the heart of a believer who is turning to God. Now, I think sometimes we, we hear these warnings that are throughout Hebrews, 
that we must persevere, that we must fight against sin, that we, we see lists that Paul gives us of different sins to say this will not inherit the kingdom. We hear of things that will keep us from the kingdom, and I think we might be too quick to remind ourselves that once saved, always saved, and say that I believe, and just kind of wink at sin, or treat sin flippantly, or to act like God just has to try, has to believe, has to forgive. We hold fast to the idea that we do not save ourselves, that our works do not merit salvation, that we are saved by grace and grace alone. But at the same time, that is a grace that draws us and brings us to holiness. And so we, we cannot kid ourselves that this is any less the word of God, that apart from holiness, we will not see God. That's not saying perfect holiness. That's not saying absolute perfection. That's not saying um, that we have to have something on the holiness scale. But it is an idea that are we more like Christ than we first came to faith? Are we more like him than we were 10 years ago? That can we look back in our lives and say, you know, I know I have a lot more work to do. I'm a little more patient in this area. I'm less anxious because I'm trusting Jesus better here. I've grown in my understanding. Can, can you look back and see that the Spirit is working in you to do the things the Spirit promises of bringing patience and self-control and gentleness and kindness? Is the Spirit at work drawing you and making you holy? Because apart from holiness, we will not see God. Here's one of the ironies. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, subjectively, the more sensitive you become to sin. I, I've, I've watched this over and over that someone comes to faith and after a time, they start to question their salvation because they become more aware of their sin. Or objectively, you, you can watch how they've grown in their walk with Christ and yet in drawing closer, it might be that a sign of your maturity is you're more aware of your sins so that you feel like a greater sinner than you did 10 years ago. But as you look, have you grown? Have, is the spirit at work that we strive for holiness, that we're pursuing peace and pursuing holiness, that this is part of our faith? Again, not that we um, reach perfection. So I remind you of the words of John Newton, the, one, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. He had a prayer. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I will be. But by, by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. Can we pray that? So holiness is not optional. The second counterfeit belief is that grace is immediate. And yet, we're told here in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble. Uh, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. That we are, uh, that someone would obtain. So this is a message to the church. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who gather to hear the word, who have received baptism, who break bread, who live together. And what he's reminding them and reminding us is that just being here, just receiving baptism, just 
our, our prayers apart from our attending to these things, uh, apart from our faith in these things, will not give what they promise. In other words, what he's saying is these people who are surrounded by God's grace could still fail to obtain that grace, right? They're, they're hearing the message of the grace. They're hearing, seeing the signs of this grace. They're living in this community of grace, but it is still possible that they do not obtain it. Because we obtain this grace by receiving it with faith. In other words, we hear the gospel and, and believing intellectually isn't enough. It's believing it and trusting it by faith so that it works to change our life. That we come and we, we see this baptism and the water, apart from what the water signifies of being part of the community, of receiving it and trusting it, of um, doing this, being part of this community that it draws us into, or receiving the bread apart from trusting the promises that is given to us in this bread, does not do what it promises. Not because the word or the sacraments or our prayers are themselves not powerful. God's spirit uses these to do things, but they are to be received by faith. And so, in other words, we can't just act as though they'll do the work on themselves apart from us receiving them in faith, apart from us trusting and trusting in a way that we're actively engaged with them. So just hearing that the gospel doesn't save. Hearing the gospel and trusting it, receiving it by faith is what saves. And I think there's times that we almost think that I believe in God intellectually and I've, I show up and that's going to do all the work. And rather we're told, strive for holiness. See to it that you obtain this grace. That we, that we actively listen to the Word, we study the Word, we gather together to hear the Word in Sunday school with friends, we pray for one another, we pray with one another, we gather together to pray, that we, we do receive all of these things, trusting what's given to us through them, trusting that grace, but rather than this idea that God just zaps us with grace and makes us Christian and makes us perfect, what we have to do is realize we continue to use these things to fight against sin in our life, to learn to trust him more, to grow into holiness, to receive all he's promised us. Grace is given to us through the means of grace, through the word, through sacrament, through prayer. As we gather together, this is the way grace is given to us. And if we ignore these, we can't be assured that we'll obtain the grace that is promised to us. It is possible to fail to obtain the grace because grace is given not immediately but through these means, through these ways. So always think of a straw, you know. This is, this is the sort of thing in confirmation class. Grace is like the milkshake, but it comes to us through a straw, which is faith. You know, we receive it through that. Go to Sonic later and, and try that out. Holiness is not optional. Grace is not immediate. And repentance is more than um, remorse. You remember the story of Esau. Esau um, was the older brother of, um, of Jacob, the oldest son of Isaac. By right, he would have had the older son's birthright. 
get really hungry. This is like the the patron saint of hangriness. He comes in, he's starving, and his brother Jacob is cooking the bowl of lentil soup. Um, I can think of a lot of things that I would celebrate more than lentil soup, but hey, lentil soup was, um, if you're hungry enough, I guess. And so he says, give me some of the soup, and Jacob says, give me your birthright. And you're thinking, that escalated really quickly. But Esau seemed to think, hey, uh, he didn't care enough about his birthright. And so he says, sure, I'll give you my birthright for a bowl of soup. Still amazed the camels has not capitalized on that as a marketing campaign. But anyway, the whole point is he cared so little about what God promised him that he was willing to give it away for a bowl of soup. And then he um, changed his mind. He didn't like what he had done. He felt bad about it. He wanted the blessing of his birthright. And so what do we hear? Afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was, re- that he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. In other words, he had no chance to turn around, to change the course he had done. He couldn't change in what he had done. He couldn't repent. There wasn't an action there, although he saw it with tears. In other words, he was remorseful. He he was crying. His emotions were strong. He felt horrible. He felt guilty. But that wasn't repentance. That wasn't the same thing as a change. And I think that a lot of times we kind of get the idea that if I just feel bad for what I've done, if I feel guilty for having done something, that is the same as repentance. But feeling that guilt is not the same as feeling that guilt and turning away from the sin. That we need remorse, but that's only one step. Someone can feel remorse and never turn to Jesus in trust. Someone can feel guilt and get over that feeling of guilt and go right back to the actions they were doing. Someone can feel really bad and yet still not do something about it. And so we see his tears of genuine remorse, but we're seeing that it's not the same thing as repentance. Repentance is that we turn away from our sin. There is a subjective feeling about it. We have to feel a sense of guilt, a sense of conviction. We have to understand that it's wrong. Uh, it probably should be a strong emotion at times to know this is something I need to stop doing. It's hurting me. It's hurting others. But it has to lead to an action. And so we see that we are not optional in our holiness. We continually um, turn to the means of grace. And true repentance, true saving repentance, is through actions of turning away from the sin. And if you're like me, I read this, and I think, I don't know if there's any hope for me. I'm not anywhere near holy. My repentance is weak. I continue to struggle with the same sins. I, 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 I still want God just to zap me and make the Christian life easier instead of it difficult to fight against temptation and to pursue holiness and kindness with others. And there is good news if you're there with me. Here's the encouragement. 
It's not keep running on to perfection just like Jesus. It's not you're doing a great job, keep at it. What's the encouragement? The encouragement is lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You're weak, you're tired, you're fumbling, you fall. Get up, hold your hands, move your knees, and just get across the finish line. We stumble, we don't do it perfectly. We, 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 we're weak, we, we, we go backwards at times, we don't do this perfectly, we're not running as Jesus, but we're running following Jesus. And as much as we stumble, as much as our knees are weak, and as much as our hands droop in fighting against sin and continuing in faith and persisting in doing good, we just keep on. And the good news is, you will see God. You will be with him. You will be across the finish line with all those other sinners who staggered across just like we will, who bear testimony that he is faithful and it is his grace that pursues us. It's his grace that strengthens us and that as weak as we feel, just keep getting on and keep going at it. He is faithful. Let us profess what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Would you please stand as we do?